But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of God. Uh, Well, good morning again. It is great to have the chance to think with you about this uh, really wonderful part of the Bible. It is a very special part of God's Word, I think. Um, and it's also, speaking of special things, it's very special to have the mixers with us. So hi, kids from mixers. See a few down the back and Ashborn. Uh, 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 very exciting to have you guys with us. Or actually, as Simon probably more accurately put it, um, very generous of you to have us uh, with you. So um, thanks, for, thanks for having us. Very kind of you. Uh, I think it's a little bit like, I don't um, know if you ever get to do this in your house, uh, but sometimes in our house we let uh, our kids stay up to watch a little bit of sort of the adult TV uh, with us. So um, last week we let Lucy stay up to watch a little bit of The Block, uh, where you kind of, it's, it's that show about renovating houses, and she thought that was um, very cool, even though I don't think she really understood anything that was going on. Um, but today it's, it's great to have um, some of the kids to join us, kind of a little bit of a special thing. You get to see what uh, the adults normally get to be part of uh, in the rest of church. Uh, I'm sure you won't be able to understand everything I have to say or concentrate on everything, and that's okay. Um, that is actually okay if you're an adult too, by the way. Um, but hopefully we're all going to learn a little bit about the gospel of grace, um, as Paul uh, has explained it for us in this um, bit of Romans. Uh, now, I want us to uh, use our imaginations today. Uh, hopefully you're good at using your imaginations. Actually, it's useful we're in a different room to normal because we're, kind of, we're already somewhere where we're um, not used to being. And actually, I want us to imagine this morning uh, that we are in a church that's somewhere different. So, Here we are, we are in a church that's somewhere different, but uh, I want us to imagine that rather than being just next door, that uh, actually our church is not in Brighton at all uh, in the year 2023, I want us to imagine that our church is in Rome, and not just Rome over there in Italy and Europe at the moment, but ancient Rome, Rome about 2,000 years ago. Now, um, Mixes Kids, I think of ancient Rome and the first thing that comes to my head is uh, one of my favourite books when I was a kid, Asterix. I've got a photo here, Joel. 
Um, thank you, thank you, Joel. Asterix, uh, there we go. Um, Mixers Kids, I don't know if any of you have read Asterix books. If you haven't, I do encourage you to go and borrow one from the library one day. Uh, they are lots of fun. Asterix and Obelix live in Roman times. They're always fighting Romans. Uh, there's always those uh, bad Roman soldiers with their shields and their swords that um, Asterix and Obelix are beating up. Uh, think, think, think those Roman soldiers, think the Colosseum, think the great Roman circus, think those chariot races, uh, and think in that ancient city of Rome, think being part of a church. Because the book of Romans is a letter written to this church. We can put asterisks away, thanks. Um, Joel, today, today we're starting partway through this letter uh, of Romans that is written to this church. Chapter 3, partway through chapter 3. We already have looked at the first part of Romans earlier in the year. We've already seen a bit of what Paul has said in this letter to this church. Uh, And actually, we've already learned a lot about this church. And actually, so far, really what we've learned about this church is actually fairly negative. Um, We've heard about some of the problems with this church. And um, actually, it's quite useful as we use our imaginations and pretend we're back in ancient Rome today. It's quite useful that we've got this big aisle right down the middle of church because the church we're imagining being a part of is a divided church. So let's just imagine just for fun. Uh, we're not, you know, it's just, just for fun. We're not going to get personal or anything like that. Um, but we can imagine that if you're on this side of the church, on this side of the aisle, uh, that our church is full of people who have an ethnically Jewish kind of background. Uh, we're living in Rome, but our heritage on this side of the church is Jewish. And now on this side of the church, that's not us all. We're, we're, we're more Roman. We're, we're Gentiles is the word that they use for it. We're not, we're not Jewish at all in our heritage. You probably didn't imagine this morning, did you, if which side of the aisle you were going to sit on is going to, um, you're going to end up being picking sides. But, um, and actually, there is a little bit of tension in this church that we're imagining being a part of. Um, you, we, we could imagine a few kind of glares or nasty looks across the aisle. I don't know if anyone has got a glare across the aisle at someone else they want to do. Maybe that's got, uh, maybe we don't want to get too serious with this. Um, we'll actually turn it into a real feud. But um, those of you on the, on the Jewish side of things, let me, let me tell you a little bit about what it's like to be part of this church for you, you have grown up your whole life knowing that you are part of God's people. You know God's on your side. You, after all, you're one of the people whose ancestors were the very ones that God rescued out of Egypt, as we've seen the last couple of weeks in Exodus. That's your heritage. And you've got the Old Testament, you've got the the scriptures, you've got God's laws. You've grown up hearing about God and about living God's way. And now, to, to... Go even further, from your people has come Jesus. God's rescuer, God's Messiah has come from your people, from the Jewish people. And so you're not actually just Jewish anymore, but you're also Christian. That means you're now following this Messiah. You're following Jesus Christ. Uh, But here's the other thing we've been hearing about in Romans so far, on the Jewish side with the Jewish heritage. Some of you on this side, I don't think it's meant to be everyone, but some of you on the Jewish side are a little bit arrogant and prideful. Now again, we're just imagining. I don't, I'm not, not trying to make this personal. But you, you, you brag about having the law, but at the same time, you don't so much actually bother following the law. You think because you've got the heritage and the law and Jesus, you actually think that you're a little bit better than these guys on this other side. Now, you guys on this side, let me tell you a little bit about you. Uh, well, you've come to call yourselves Christians as well. Now, you didn't grow up with the law or knowing anything really about God or any of this sort of Jewish stuff. You probably grew up in sort of Rome with all their sorts of different gods. But one day, 
you heard about this Jesus and you heard about how this Jesus rose from the dead and you believed and you decided to live for him. And so you too now call yourselves Christians. Except the problem for you is that for some of you, this is demanding lots of changes of your life. Maybe some of you, you don't actually want to change. You just want to keep living how you were living. And at the same time, all these these Jewish people over that side, they're all saying you should be exactly like them and you don't really want to be like them. And so there is this awkward tension in the church as they come together every Sunday. And lately this has actually gotten worse because one thing we think happened just a little bit before the letter of Romans is that uh, the Jews living in Rome, so this, this half of the church, you guys, the Jews living in Rome actually were forced to leave for a while. So Caesar, at one point, he said that all the Jews living in Rome had to leave. It was to do with kind of blaming the Jews for some fires that had started. And so for a little while, it was actually only you guys. You didn't have to worry about the Jews for a while. And little secret, you guys actually kind of liked that. (laughs) For once you got to be in charge. For once you got to stop doing things in such a Jewish way. For once you were the leaders. Uh, But now we're all back again. We're all back together. And now I've got even a little bit more tension. This kind of Jewish heritage part of the church thinks they're the special ones and thinks they have special rights to be in charge. But the Gentiles kind of are demanding to be in charge as well and they don't want to go back to how things were. And into this mess, this kind of divided church, Paul now decides to write this letter. I can imagine the church gathering together just like this. A letter's coming, come from the Apostle Paul. He's, he's famous. He's well known. We're going to have to listen to what he says. The Jews are probably on that side. The Gentiles are on that side. You're all ready to hear this letter read out. What is Paul going to say? And we might notice what Paul doesn't say in the letter of Romans. He doesn't say maybe the things we would expect, like, come on, guys, just get your act together. He doesn't say, guys, you just need to get over yourselves and just love each other a bit more. Paul Paul doesn't actually just say that sort of thing. What Paul does instead is he shares with the Romans, Jewish and Gentile, the message of the gospel. He reminds them of the gospel, the message of the good news of Jesus that they've come to believe in. Because for Paul, the answer to what's going on in this church is not some sort of conflict resolution course or mediation or people trying harder or getting over themselves for Paul the answer to what's going on in this church is that gospel maybe you remember what Paul said back in Romans 1 we had it uh, Simon Simon read it between songs for us this morning very helpfully he said I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God he actually believes the gospel is powerful and can make a difference Paul said it's the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so what Paul is doing is he is choosing to share the gospel and he is expecting that the gospel is going to be the thing that is going to sort this church out. He's sharing the gospel expecting that the gospel is going to be the thing that is going to sort this church out. Uh, So far, he's really uh, laid out the reasons for why the church needs the gospel in the first place. So he's he's dug into some of the problems. Uh, He's talked about sin and how sin is something everyone has. Uh, If any mixers are doing their worksheets, sin is one of your clues. You can um, fill that in. 
He talks about how the Jews have God's laws, but even though they have God's laws, it's not actually helping them be any more godly. It's actually just showing that they're still sinful and they're still arrogant. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talked about how the Gentiles, you know, they don't have the same laws, but they're still just as guilty and still just as sinful. And what he's really done by the point we get to today is he has hammered home the need for the gospel, the need for God's rescue. Sin is a problem for all, and the gospel is the answer that we need. And today he gives it to them plain and simple, the very heart of the gospel, because he thinks this is what is going to sort out what's going on with this church. And so the question is actually, okay, so how? How, like how is the gospel going to sort out this issue? I mean, this is, a, this is a real situation. It's a real messy situation with lots of conflict and lots of, I'm sure, interpersonal sorts of tension. So how is the gospel actually going to be the answer that they're after? Um, well, I want, to sh- I want to show you three things um, today that I think kind of three things we see that Paul expects to sort out uh, by preaching the gospel, by sharing with them the gospel. Um, we've got them here. We can put them on the screen. Thank you, Joel. Um, three things that Paul expects, expects the gospel to sort out. He expects the gospel to sort out this church's unity. He expects the gospel to sort, sort out this church's foundation. And he expects the gospel to sort out this church's hearts. And I thought on these things, actually, I might set the mix as a little bit of a drawing challenge. These are the three things a bit further down that you can fill in. Unity, foundation, heart. Maybe they're not quite the easiest things to draw, but I wonder if you could draw um, one of those things. Actually, if we go to the next slide, Joel, um, here you go. Here's a few examples. The gospel, it's going to mean for this church, um, it's going to mean a heart change. So maybe you could draw a cool heart with some cool patterns or some cool designs. Uh, And the gospel, it's also going to mean a change of foundation. Uh, the foundation, a foundation is that bottom part of a building that everything else is built on. Maybe you could draw a big house uh, with a big foundation or a big building. And unity, I don't know if you know what the word unity means, but unity is what we call it when lots of us uh, get along together as we should. Maybe you could draw a bunch of people all feeling united together because the gospel is meant to ch- sort out this church's unity. Uh, maybe you could try drawing one of those things, or even all three if you uh, think you're ambitious and you can show me afterwards how you go. Uh, but let me show you from Paul's letter now where he expects the gospel to sort these three things out for this church. We can still imagine, we're still here, we're still in ancient Rome, so we've still got this tension. The Jews are on this side, the Gentiles are on this side, Gentiles are on this side. We're all ready to hear this letter read out. And this is what uh, Paul says to this divided church. We've got it on the screen for us, Joel. Thank you very much. Paul says... But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Can you see how the gospel should be affecting this church's unity? Paul says, you're all divided, but actually you need to realize that there's no difference between you all. Sure, that those with the Jewish heritage, they have, they have the law, they have that heritage, but you're still sinners. You still fall short of the glory of God. 
And the way you're saved in Christ is still by God's grace. And all those things are actually exactly the same, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Both sides are completely united in this. We are all united as sinners saved by grace. We're all the same. You know that phrase, we're all in the same boat. With God, this church is all in the same boat. I can imagine as this part of the letter is read out to this church in Rome. Can you imagine it? Oh, oh, there's no difference. Hmm. I guess we do have more in common than I realized. Maybe I shouldn't have been treating this person like I have been after all. And then next, Paul tells this church how the gospel gives them a new foundation. When I talk about foundation, I'm talking about kind of, in a Christian sense, the thing that is right at the core of how we live, the thing that we're building our lives on. And I reckon, at least for some of the Jews in this Roman church, some of their lives, the thing at their very core, the foundation of their lives, was actually about being Jewish. That was actually the most important fundamental thing to them. It was their, their heritage, their people. And for Gentiles, it would have been other things. Maybe it was the lifestyle they had or all sorts of different things. But here Paul tells the church about the new foundation that they should have in Jesus. So from verse um, 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Uh, The words that we've just read here, I think it's fair to say this is the very heart of the gospel. Uh, This is the very foundation that we do build our lives on if we are Christian. We're sinners. And for that, the just and righteous God should fairly and justly punish our sins. But for the sake of Jesus, God left those sins unpunished. And when Jesus came, he put those just and righteous punishments onto Jesus instead of onto us. This is what it means when Paul calls Jesus a sacrifice of atonement. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Israelites would make atonement sacrifices. They would literally uh, take an animal and they would, uh, if they'd sinned, they would take an animal and they would get the animal and they would sacrifice the animal. And the idea was that the animal would die so that I don't have to. It's sort of like God's punishment for my sin was put onto the animal and then I am left over innocent. This is also a lot like what we looked at a few weeks ago in the Passover. Those lambs that were killed with the blood on the door and the door frames and the, um, the, the lambs. The, the lambs were killed so that the firstborn in those Israelite houses did not have to die because blood had already been shed. God's just and righteous punishment had gone into the blood of the lamb rather than onto the firstborn in each of those houses. And with Jesus, he is the atoning sacrifice for us. He is the sacrifice that all those other sacrifices pointed to. He is the punishment for our sin. The, pu- the punishment for our sin goes on to him. And so we can say that now, as we trust in Christ, we are justified. Uh, Paul uses this word justified a lot. We don't actually really probably use the word justified all that much these days, do we? Um, sometimes we talk about how, oh, my actions were justified in that situation because of such and such or such and such. But um, I was thinking of, okay, when do we use that word justified? It, 
And actually, one of the ways maybe we use it a little bit these days is when we apply for a job. Um, you have that sort of CV or that resume, um, which is basically sort of a, a justification for why I am qualified to do this job, right? Uh, it's to do with justification, to be justified. Sometimes, I'm not making any accusations, but sometimes maybe people might like to add a little bit extra on their CV or their resume to make themselves look a little bit more suitable than they actually are. Uh, or at the very least, you know, we probably try to paint ourselves in a positive light to try and justify ourselves. Uh, maybe some people even try and occasionally uh, sneak someone else's CV and um, put their name on the top so that uh, they can look justified based on what someone else has done rather than um, what they have done. Oh, no accusations on any of that, by the way. Um, when it comes to God, we could try and justify ourselves with all sorts of things. We could write out the list of the things um, that we've done. The Jews, the Jews in this church might have tried to do that by kind of noting their heritage and how they've grown up with the law. They could say they are the things that uh, mean they are justified. We could also maybe try and justify um, ourselves with just sort of some of the good things we've done and just sort of the way we've lived. But Paul has made it clear that none of that is ever going to be enough for God. He knows everything we've ever done and we all have sins. And since God is just, he needs to take that sin seriously. But as our sins are placed on Jesus and as, they were, as we're then found in Jesus, well, whatever we've done, we can now go to God with a CV that says my sins have been paid for in Jesus. Actually, it's a little bit like we get Jesus' perfect resume as our own because we are in him. In Jesus, I now have perfect righteousness and I can stand before God, perfect in Christ. Now, that idea of justification, it's, um, it's a big thing over the next few weeks of Romans. We're going to um, be coming back to it and digging into it more and more and more. Um, but for here in Romans 3, I think the point is fairly clear. This church in Rome, they have great reason to be unified because they're all sinners and they're all saved by this sacrifice of Jesus. They all have this foundation at their core. They shouldn't be so divided. They're all in the same boat. And then we've heard about how Paul says that the gospel should be affecting their unity and their foundation. And I think Paul also takes it a little bit further and he says the gospel should also be affecting their hearts and their attitudes. Just look, just one little more bit in um, verse 27. Um, thanks, Joel. Look at what Paul says here. He says, uh, where then is boasting? It's excluded. There seems to have been boasting going on in this church. People on this side boasting about their heritage. People on this side boasting about their freedom or the things they're able to do by not having to be Jewish and follow all those laws. Uh, there seems to be bragging and boasting on both sides of this church. Of course, that's going to make a church even more tense and more divided, isn't it? Uh, but Paul says, if, if you have this great unity because, because of the gospel, you're all in the same boat and you now all have this same thing at your very core, you all have this foundation. And if your foundation is all about what Jesus has done, it's not actually about what you've done, then there's just no room for boasting. What have you got to boast about? Certainly not yourselves. Certainly not anything you've done. Instead of having a boastful, prideful kind of heart, what the gospel should give us is hearts of humility. Now, you can see, can't you, how in this divided church, actually the gospel should make a difference. A great foundational unity, a new foundation in what Jesus has done. Hearts of humility 
instead of hearts of boasting. These are powerful things. I hope you can see how these are the things that the church needs to move forward together. I hope you can see why Paul would be so keen to share the gospel with this church uh, to be able to help them move forward from these problems they're in the middle of. Um, Well, now's the time when we can turn off our imaginations. Uh, We're back here in Adelaide, 2023. Beautiful weather. Beach is just over there. Uh, Isn't this fantastic? We're back here. We're ourselves again. No more Jews and Gentiles. We all like each other on the other side of the aisle again. I hope we didn't feel any of that too, too really. Uh, But we've heard about this church a long time ago and how the gospel should have impacted this ancient church. What what about then for us here at Trinity Church Brighton? How should the gospel be affecting us? Should it affect us in the same ways? And let's, just for the sake of time, let's just, let's just do these three things. We've, we've talked about how the gospel should be affecting this, should have, should have been affecting this ancient church and their unity and their foundations and their hearts. So how might the gospel affect us in those three areas as well? Um, in terms of unity, I hope, hope at Trinity Church Brighton we're not a divided church. I certainly don't think um, that we have an obvious big dividing line right down the middle of us like the church in Rome did, um, even though we do have an aisle here today. Uh, but, you know, normally that's why we have two aisles at church. Um, not really. Um, but at the same time, I reckon it would be silly to think that we are immune to this kind of stuff or that we could never have these sorts of divisions. I mean, for one thing, we are actually in an increasingly ethnically kind of diverse area with an increasingly uh, diverse church, different cultural backgrounds, people born in different places. Um, we'd, we'd be silly to think that that stuff could just could never impact us or it could never cause any friction. And of course, we know this question of racial unity and respect uh, is very topical, of course, with the referendum and all the conversations going along with that at the moment. Um, and not to talk about that really, but just to say that we a church actually we do have a really fundamental reason why the gospel should be powerfully uniting us. Maybe a little bit more so than um, anyone else out there um, in our city. We're all in the same boat. There's no difference between us. We know that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and we are all justified freely by His grace in Jesus. We have so much more in common than what we have that separates us. We should actually also remember this when we do interact with other people in our gathering who are maybe a little bit different to us. It could be on other things as well. It could be that some of us here are on one side of politics and some are on the other side of politics. Or some of us have a lot of money in our bank account and some of us have a bit less. Or um, some people are from a different generation to us. Um, Or some people perhaps have been Christians for a long time or some of us might have only been Christians for a a short time. Um, Mixes mixes kids uh, and youth who are here, um, perhaps we have people at church, friends at church who go to a different school to us or friends at church who would normally hang out into kind of a different social setting to us. Uh, But what a wonderful expression of unity a church can have when we look past all those differences, which might be real and it's not like they don't have any impact and there can be things that we maybe sometimes do disagree about in kind of hopefully robust, loving kind of ways. But what a wonderful expression of unity a church can be when we look past those differences and we remember the foundational core unity that we all share in Christ, all sinners, all justified by what he has done. That united, loving culture is the sort of culture that the gospel should be creating amongst us as we hear it and reflect on it and let it shape us. And I think this is just what will happen as we actually do spend time together and we enjoy each other and we serve each other and we participate in the life of our church. 
I think we could think of all sorts of practical examples of that. I think as we serve one another at church and, and serve on rosters and we work together, we, we remember our unity. I think it's a really unifying thing to be serving together. There are other ways we can serve as well. Now, well, um, we've, we've got just one really practical example at the moment. Um, over the next couple of weeks, we've got a few new babies coming. Uh, we'd love to be caring with those, for those families who are having new babies um, coming with meals. Uh, you might not know those people well. You might not get on with those people well. I'm not going to um, <laughs> put ideas into your head. But, but we, can still, we can still remember our, our foundational unity. We are so united. We are all of the same church. We are all sinners saved by grace. What a way to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ by helping them out with a meal. Um, so why not get on that meals list if you're not? Um, fill in one of those blue cards if you need more details. And put your name down for some dates. Um, we've still got a few gaps. Why not get onto some cooking and uh, express our unity by that sort of service to one another? Uh, these, these are our people, our family. And as we serve each other, we remember that we are all just as much a part of this community. Uh, you could be on the leadership team. You could have joined this church three weeks ago. There's no difference, uh, really, if we're in Jesus. So let's enjoy being together and serving one another, whatever smaller differences we may be to have. Um, now, secondly, we heard about how the gospel should have affected this Roman church's foundation. Um, their new foundation was the atoning sacrifice of Christ and the righteousness that is to be found in him. Well, we here at Trinity Church Brighton can, can remember too that this is our foundation as well. And we must hold this tight. This is the core of our faith. This is, this is our justification. It's not in what we do or what we make ourselves to be. It's in Jesus. And we live in a world that is, uh, is all about trying to achieve things and all about trying to have an impact and to have success and to be able to sort of show others how well you're doing in life. Uh, maybe literally trying to build a great CV for your career. Um, but often we don't realize how actually debilitating that sort of lifestyle is. Always trying to prove ourselves and always trying to actually show that we've achieved lots in our lives. Um, just a very random thing. I was thinking about this this week and I remembered this quote that I'd read um, from Madonna actually. Uh, of course, you probably don't often hear, like, often expect to hear Madonna quoted in church. But um, of course, Madonna was very successful and most people would say, wow, that is the sort of amazing success that anyone would love to have. But just um, let's just read with me this quote that um, uh, this is what Madonna said in an interview with Vanity Fair. Um, I think it's pretty raw and pretty brutally honest, I think. She says, um, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push one past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get, out, get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is, is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I'm, I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. If our life is based on being successful, we're constantly going to be trying to prove ourselves. But think about what our new foundation gives us. Madonna said she'd never feel like, uh, she'll never feel like enough. That's what she expects. Uh, if we're in Jesus, we know that we are enough, totally enough. And it's nothing to do with what we've done. It's because we have the perfect Resume, we have the perfect CV. We are righteous in him. That should be a great security, a great assurance 
a great foundation at the very core of our identity, a great contentment as we go about life and a great joy as we meet together to celebrate the righteousness we have in him. And that should help us go on serving Jesus with great freedom and confidence uh, as we know our identity and where we're found in Christ. Uh, Lastly then, we saw how the gospel should be affecting the hearts of that Roman church. Uh, We said for them there was no room for boasting and it's kind of the same for us as well, isn't it? If we've got this fundamental unity, if we're not about trying to be better than each other, if we've got this new foundation, we're not trying to prove ourselves or um, kind of prove how good or successful we are, well then of course bragging and boasting and trying to outdo each other it just doesn't make any sense, does it? And um, if you really want to know, by the way, whether it's God's grace that you really trust in, um, I think a good advice is to pay attention to what you, what you do boast about. If you find yourself always boasting about the great things you've achieved or um, the things you've done at work or the things you're doing in your family or the awesome experiences that you've had or the wonderful impact you've had um, serving with the church even or just the wonderful things you've done in ministry, the things you're involved with, if it's always those things that you're boasting in, I, you know, I think there's an appropriate joy and pride we can take in a job well done and being able to achieve things as we follow Jesus. But do we boast in what Jesus has done for us? Do we take joy and celebration because of what he has done rather than just the things we've been able to tick off our bucket lists? It's the grace of Jesus that gives us our unity. It's the grace of Jesus that gives us our foundation. And so it's the grace of Jesus that should be at the heart of what we boast in. If we're a church shaped by that grace and um, we hope that this Roman church, when they got this letter, that they were able to be shaped in their culture by the gospel... Well, if we're a church that has a culture that's shaped by the gospel, that's the church type of church we want to be part of, isn't it? We want to be a church that's built on this gospel, shaped by the gospel, a church that's got this gospel at the very core of who we are. We want to be a church that boasts in the gospel. And so my question for us today to finish with is, uh, we're not in our imaginations anymore. We are here. We're at Trinity Church Brighton. It's 2023. Paul didn't just write to that ancient Roman church, he wrote to our church as well. Will we go on being a church shaped by this wonderful good news? How about I pray that that's exactly what we would be. Dear God, we thank you today for the message of Jesus. Uh, We're undeserving, all of us. We don't stand on our merits or on our deeds or on our goodness, uh, but we can stand in Jesus in the gospel. And so help us to know that it's only the gospel we can stand in. Help us to be shaped by the gospel, to be humble, to be united, to have hearts moved of great love and compassion, to always remember where our salvation comes from. We know that our salvation, our justification comes from Jesus and it's in his name we pray today. Amen.